Well, welcome everybody. I'm so glad that you guys are here today. Welcome. My name is Matt Wolf. If you're online or here in person, we love you. I love you. I'm so glad that you guys are here. Did you guys see us in the news? Did you guys see us in the news? Isn't that pretty cool? Yeah, we were on the front page of the front porch. I thought that was really cool with uh, some, a really cool photo of our outdoor service. I think that was a cool thing. You know, as, with Arise, uh, we took that from the verse, our new name, we took that from the verse Isaiah 60, and it says there, Arise, shine. You know, we're supposed to shine, we're supposed to be known, we're supposed to let God's love be known in the community. And I think that's pretty cool, like right when we change the name, boom, everybody gets to see us, right? So that's pretty cool, I'm glad about that. If you haven't, you, you know, check out the front porch, the newspaper, you can go online and find it as well. Share this article with someone, say, hey, did you see our church? It's cool, at least for today. Um, it's cool. Yeah, you could check it out. Um, so yeah, I'm glad you guys are here. That's really good. We are wanting to be bold, right? Bold outreach is one of our values here that we are boldly sent to seek and love the lost. Uh, I was going to fill you in on some Christmas details, um, but, but that's probably coming. Uh, so just wait on that. But we are going to do a couple things that are really bold this year. So just stay tuned for that. I hope that you guys are really excited because Christmas Eve is one of our biggest outreaches of the entire year. We see our second highest attended service of the year on Christmas Eve. Last year, we saw 575 people in our three in-person services. We're probably not going to see that many people in person this year, right? Let's be honest. We get it. People are nervous. They're afraid. Maybe they would come on a normal year, but they're like, I don't know. But they would participate, perhaps. And that's what we're going to be talking about in the weeks ahead. And it's going to take every single one of us because we want to deliver hope to every home. And we believe that we can do that this year with your help here in this area, and it, I think it's going to be really cool. So just stay tuned for that. We are going to continue our series Untangled today with the second week. If you missed week number one, you can go back to arisedenver.com media, find the audio, video, and the transcript. There's no reason to miss anything. You can subscribe, get it sent straight to your phone, read it, listen to it, watch it, do all three. Hey, that's cool too. Okay, um, but whatever it is, join us uh, and, and make sure you haven't missed any of the series. If you do, you can go back and listen to part one. So today we're going to talk about these fears that we're entangled in, and I have a confession to make, guys. I put up my Christmas lights already. I did. I put up my Christmas lights on Friday. Yes, thank you. I got one applaud. Anybody else crazy enough? Yes, the Napiers. Oh, Trisha too. Oh, over here. Yeah. All right. First service, it was like me and Chase, and I'm like, that's why I hired him. Um, but we're it's a little, it's way earlier than I ever have done it, but I was like, what? Why not? It was 60 degrees on Friday. I had the day off, time to get up there before the 60 mile an hour winds came and knocked me off the roof. So got my lights up, and if you are going to be do that in the next few weeks, putting up your Christmas lights, you are going to discover what you discover every year. No matter how much time you took wrapping those lights up, like I did, I wrapped them all up really nicely. I connected the ends together. I put them in individual bags, and yet what happens? They get so tangled up, right? No matter what happens, I think that there's like, like these, the mice go in there and like, <laughs> I'm gonna tangle it up. Like you don't even do anything. It just happens that they're tangled every year and you gotta unwind the lights and it's, it takes so long. Okay, we gotta untangle it. Without even thinking about it, stuff gets entangled, right? And what we're talking about is that is like our metaphor for this series, that there are fears, there are worries that, have, that we have in our hearts, and that if we don't even think about it or plan it, it just gets entangled with our lives. There's these, these worries we have. Last week we talked about that worry that we want to look good in front of other people, and it causes us to do some things to even be hypocritical because the inside might not look as good as the outside, but we want other people to like us. So we talked about last week, and this week we're going to talk about this desire to fit in. It's very similar to the first week. I'll explain the difference in just a minute. But the desire to fit in, this isn't to stand out so people like you and respect you. 
but it's to fit in so people don't make fun of you, right? Or exclude you or do worse things to you. We want to fit in and kind of hide in the back. Those are both kind of tied together by a very similar fear, but it gets wrapped so far into our hearts that it takes a while to untangle. And that's what we're trying to do because Jesus, who who we're going to read his words in Luke chapter 12 today, Jesus wants to untangle the mess that is our hearts. (laughs) He wants to get all those those fears and worries that are tangled up in there just to to clean them out, to, to make it Um, untangled, right, so that we can live the life that he has called us to. So this one that we're talking about is that fear of fitting in, and I believe that that's a fear that we all have, that fear of fitting in. There's even been some studies that kids as young as kindergarten worry about what their friends, you know, the other kids in their class are going to think. Kindergarten starts that early. We want other people to like us, so we're going to do whatever we can to fit in with the people that we're with. And it continues on into adulthood, Oprah Winfrey, back in 2013, I heard her talk, and she said that she has interviewed thousands of people, right? Thousands of people, and she's interviewed some very influential people like George W. Bush, Barack Obama, Beyonce, and she said after every single interview, they all say the same thing. You know what that is? Was that okay? They all lean over, was that okay? Because they they want people to like them, they want to fit in with people, even these people like Beyonce, like, come on, right? She's got Beyonce-ness, right? She doesn't need to fit in, but yet she still wants to be okay in the eyes of others. We do this, don't we? Jerry Seinfeld once uh, (laughs) put it well, it's very important for human beings to feel that they are popular and well-liked amongst a large group of people that they don't care for. (laughs) Isn't that true about us? Isn't that true about us? We do. You know, one of the interesting things, um, you know, Alex Trebek died this, this last week, and I listened to his memoir. It was really cool that he recorded it this last, life, uh, this last year, and it was interesting to hear him, you know, even talk after he's dead. But did we, I liked listening to it, and people do, because this is his last words. Like, he knows he's going to die. He's looking back at his whole life of 80 years and, and being able to share some insight, you know. What we say in our last words are important. They're significant. And Bonnie Ware, who was a palliative care nurse in Australia for 12 years, recorded the last words of the patients that she cared for as they were dying. The last words. And she kind of summarized them up, and she found that of these patients that she cared for for 12 years, there were several regrets that kept coming back over and over again. These regrets from their life. Do you know what the number one regret was? I wished... I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. It's the number one regret that people had. Over and over again, they had this regret. And I think that we would say that about ourselves. Why did I care so much about fitting in instead of being myself or, as we're going to talk about today, who God has called me to be? Why do we care so much about fitting in? And that's what we're going to look at today, this, this fear. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up there or your smartphone. Uh, online, you can do the same thing in another tab in your browser, perhaps. And as we look at Luke chapter 12, we're going to see Jesus attack this worry. And actually, he's going to give us a recap of last week, too, which is great for those of us who want to review. And then he's going to get into it. But we're going to start in verse 1, where we read, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered... So that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, we'll stop there for a second. Okay, we often just skip over these little like details that Luke, our, our narrator for this passage, the historian who wrote this down, we kind of skip over that, but this is fascinating. There's a crowd of many thousands of people trampling on each other. 
There are so many people out there to hear Jesus. They're, they're pushing each other. You know, if you've ever been in a big crowd like that, it's uncomfortable. You're like, oh my gosh, don't worry, there's no pandemic going on. But there's a whole crowd. They're, they're close together. They're sweating. They're on top of each other, trampling each other. They all want to hear what Jesus has to say. And Jesus turns from the crowd and addresses his disciples. Interesting, right? He gives a message that's not really for the crowd. Most of us would care about the crowd. Oh, the big people. We'll talk to the disciples later. No, no, no. He realized the crowd was there, but he had to say something to his disciples that was important. And that's important too here. We realize that we have crowds on Sundays. You know, it's a little sparser in person than we're used to. But we have crowds of people. We realize that there are some of you here that are not followers of Jesus or not followers of Jesus yet. Maybe you're checking him out. You're just seeing how things are. Maybe you're online too and you've kind of been hiding in the background because you're like, I don't know about this old Jesus guy. I don't know about church or Christianity. That's okay. If you're here, we're glad. You can overhear this message. But this message, like Jesus did, is for the disciples. So you can overhear this. This message isn't for you. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, just kind of sit back, relax. Just overhear. If you are kind of coming to, to, to see, like, do I agree or do I not? Do I believe this? Do I not? That's fine. You can overhear because then it'll help you make a decision about whether I want to follow this Jesus guy or not. But this message isn't for you. If you are a disciple, on the other hand, this message is for you. So if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, this message is for you in particular. Because Jesus wants us as his followers to be freed from this fear of man. And I'll get to that concept in just a second. So he begins by saying uh, in the second half of verse 1, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now if you weren't here last week, then... Jesus was talking to these Pharisees, these religious leaders. There was the Pharisees and there was the teachers of the law. These guys were the religious leaders. They were the pastors. They were the deacons. They were the Bible scholars of the day. And Jesus was talking to them and he really laid into them, didn't he? I mean, he rebuked them. Woe to you, woe to you. He gave them six different things that they were doing wrong, that their hearts were wrong. And the overarching picture of it was that they cared more about looking righteous, looking generous, looking respectable and important in the eyes of others than they cared about their own heart. And Jesus called him out for it. And the, the big point that he was giving last week was our, was our big idea, and he's kind of reiterating it here, isn't he? he he's saying um, basically that we um, should focus not on looking good on the outside, but on being cleaned by God on the inside. It's not about looking good on the inside, but being clean, but being, by being transformed on the inside. That was the big idea Jesus gave to the um, Pharisees last week, and he's recapping that for his disciples now. Maybe they weren't at that dinner that he was at, but he's like, hey, this is what I told them. What's on the inside matters. Your heart matters. How it's entangled with all this mess of the world, all these fears and worries matters. I want to get you untangled, Jesus is saying. And notice how he says a couple different things in, in verse one. He says, be on your guard. Be on your guard. He's saying, watch out. Why? Because on your own, if you don't pay attention, you will get entangled in this. Your heart will get wrapped up in all these fears and it will lead you to have sin in your heart. You have to be on your guard. If you're not on your guard, it's going to happen naturally. Just like your lights are going to get all <laughs> tangled up together just because they're in the garage and those mice are tangling them up. And he also says against the yeast of the Pharisees. What's yeast? Well, you put the yeast in the dough. You knead the dough so it gets spread around and then that yeast spreads throughout the dough, of course, causing it to rise. So this hypocrisy that we have, that we want to look good on the outside, 
It can be very small at first. A little bit of our heart wants to look good on the outside, but it expands, it goes everywhere, and overwhelms our lives. That's what Jesus is saying. And that's why, as he goes on in verses 2 and 3, he says, There is nothing concealed, he says, that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. He's telling his disciples, we care about the inside because what is on the inside will be made known on the outside. There will come a day that everything that you are hiding, that you are whispering, that you are afraid other people will know about you, will all be made known. That's why we care more about the inside than the outside. We don't focus on looking good on the outside, but on being cleaned by God, transformed by God on the inside, right? So Jesus is saying here. And this can happen naturally in our life. Do you remember back a few years ago with the Ashley Madison scandal? Do you remember this? Ashley Madison was an online dating service for people having affairs. So it was for, and all of a sudden, boom, there was a data breach. All the data got put out there, so all these people who were trying to hide the fact that they were having an affair, all their names were known. I mean, what, what a way, it, you know, destroying people's reputations and everything. But what was on the inside is now being made known on the outside, right? So that happens sometimes in our world. The sin that we've been trying to hide and keep secret, boom, everybody knows. But what Jesus is saying is that for everyone, it will happen. What happened with those people, that scandal a few years ago, is going to happen with everyone. Everything you have done in the secret, in the hiddenness of your heart, the sin that you have, the things that you've done behind closed doors or in the bedroom, that's all going to be made known. It's going to be brought to the light, what is spoken in the secret. So Jesus is saying, hey, the sin of your heart is important. Even though other people can't see it, it matters. Private sin will be made public. So Jesus is saying there will be a judgment day. There will be a judgment day. See, there is a day that every single one of us will stand before the judgment seat of God. And everything we have done, every word we have said, will be laid bare. It will be seen. We can't hide from it. This is the reality that Jesus is saying. So he's building, reviewing off of last week. But then this fact that God is our judge is going to be so important as we tackle the concept of that fear of man, the desire to fit in. And that's what Jesus is going to talk about next. So we reviewed last week, right? I love that even Jesus did this, right? He reviewed last week's message. Now he's jumping into this week's message about our fear of man, our desire to fit in with others. Because how the heck do we get over that? Well, Jesus is going to tell us how to deal with that internal fear in our hearts. And this starts in verse 4. Verse 4, he says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. He said, don't be afraid of anyone who can murder you. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said, right? Don't be afraid of anyone who could murder you. And we're like, what? That's what Jesus is saying. Don't be afraid of anyone who can murder you. Who can murder you? Anybody. Don't be afraid of human beings, he's saying. Who cares what they can do to your body? So this is the extreme example of the fear of man. Now, I use that term because it's kind of an old term. It's been around a long time by, by Bible teachers and, and theologians, the fear of man. And I don't mean by that that I'm excluding women in this, okay? <laughs> It's a fear of mankind, of humankind, of the people around you. We're talking about humans in general, the fear of man. So as I use that term, I'm not uh, trying to exclude women at all, right? You guys 
tracking with me. So the fear of man is this fear of what other people will do to you. It can be the extreme that Jesus says, what if they murder me? Okay, that's the extreme, but it has a whole range because it could be murder or it could be, I'm afraid what they'll think about me. I'm afraid what they'll say about me. I'm afraid that they might exclude me or do something to me. They might even fire me. They might um, cause me to, to have my reputation ruined. Heck, they could even throw me in prison. So it's the whole range of this, right? The fear of man is, I'm afraid of what people will do to me. And that's why we have this desire to fit in because of the fear of man. The fear of man here, and that's what Jesus is talking about. But he says, you don't need to worry about that fear, that internal fear that's tangled up in your heart that causes you to do all sorts of things, say all sorts of things. You don't need to worry about it. Now, we, we will talk about murdering because th- that is part of what can happen to people who are followers of Jesus. Let's be honest. We need to talk about this, that Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world. Did you know that? This is, was reported even by the Wall Street Journal a couple years ago. Every single year, Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world. More people are killed because they claim the name of Jesus than in, for any other faith in the world. In the 191 countries in the world, in 131 of those countries, Christians face um, severe persecution by groups or even by the government. 131 of our 191 countries. Yeah, it's pretty intense. In our world at large, one out of nine Christians faces severe persecution. In Asia, that's one out of three. One out of three of our Christian brothers and sisters in Christ face severe persecution. Even things like being murdered, like being imprisoned for life, tortured, killed. So severe persecution is a thing. But if we're honest, in our country, it's probably not that bad. But we still have the fear of man. Sometimes we even are more afraid than they are. You know, I had one professor, and he said, you know, in other parts of the world, they, they fear the raised fist. Here, we fear the raised eyebrow. Okay? But the point is, whatever this fear of man is, we all have it. And it goes back to small things, too. Do you remember middle school? Yeah. We are all f- wanted to fit in, right? I remember because in fifth grade, I wore jeans that were um, kind of s- tight and they were kind of scrunched up because that's what people wore in fifth grade when I was in the 90s, right? But then I got to sixth grade. People did not wear those jeans anymore. They wore jeans like this and that. <laughs> Does anybody remember those jeans? And I was so embarrassed that I had my normal tight, scrawny jeans so uh, the first couple months when I realized everybody had different jeans than me, right, I only wore shorts. I didn't care if it was freezing cold and snowing outside and I had to walk to school, I would be wearing shorts because I didn't have cool jeans like this. And finally, when it was the first dance of the year, I went out and made my dad take me to the store and bought some big old baggy Lee pipes. Okay, I never had Jinkos like that, but I had Lee pipes. Anybody wore Lee pipes? If you were in middle school in the 90s, you know what I'm talking about. Who in here wore baggy jeans? You know, yes, thank you. Okay, a few people. These, they're huge, right? The bigger, the better. And yet, somehow, that's how we fit in. And if some of you are like, oh my gosh, how could you? Okay, you wore bell bottoms. Okay, we all have things that we like, wore that we're like, we look back and we're like, we wore that? What? Okay, that was my thing in middle school in the 90s, to wear big old baggy jeans. But I wore them because I wanted to fit in. I didn't want to be made fun of. I didn't want people to think I was weird or whatever. I, I didn't wear them to stand out at all, that's for sure. I just wanted to fit in with everybody else. And I think we all have done things like that, whether it's school and it leads all the way into later in life. Now, when we're talking about clothes, is it really that big of a deal? Probably not. 
In fact, it's probably fine to wear normal clothes that other people wear. It's probably a fine thing. But we take that, that same fear, that little tiny fear that we have of what other people think. We want to fit in with them. And we take that even bigger with things like our faith. Well, will people think I'm a weirdo if they know I'm a Christian? Will they think I'm strange if I go to church? Yes, they will. And we're afraid of that. We're afraid of not fitting in. And it causes us to hide what's most important. See, this is kind of opposite of last week. Last week is we wanted to stand out so people would like us, respect us. Here we want to fit in so they won't dislike us. It's kind of the two sides of the same coin, right? But here, this fear of man leads us to desire to fit in and to hide even our faith. To hide even our faith. Let's keep reading in verses 5 and 6. But he says, But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, this is interesting. Because we were just talking about the fear of man. Now, Jesus is saying, hey, there's actually someone you should be afraid of. Don't be afraid of any man, any human being who can murder you. Who you should truly be afraid of is the one who can send your soul to hell for eternity. Hear this? I'm not mincing words here. Jesus didn't mince words. We're talking about hell. She said, don't be afraid of people hurting your body. Be afraid of the one who can send you to hell forever. Because hell is hot and eternity is a long time. That's who you should be afraid of, Jesus says. Who are we talking about? God himself. Why are you afraid of puny little human beings? All they can do is destroy your body. Be afraid of the one who can destroy your soul for eternity. Now, I know this makes us uncomfortable, right? We don't like talking about hell, but Jesus talked about hell more than anyone else in the entire Bible. And the word he uses for hell here in the Greek is the word Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom. That's what literally it was. It was just outside of Jerusalem. It was this valley, and it was the dump. Everybody sent all their refuse there, all their junk, all their trash, and they would send it there, and they would burn it. There were fires going continually, night and day, forever. And it was even the place in the Old Testament when, they, when God's people weren't worshiping God, but they were worshiping false gods, and they went and they sacrificed their children. They would kill them there in this valley. So this is an evil, awful place where there's burning fires all the time. There's worms that are eating everything and destroying any you know, organic compounds. It is a terrible, awful place. And Jesus uses that terrible, awful place that they all knew about as the metaphor for how terrible hell is. He says, be worried about the God who will send you there. Because that is something about God. That he is powerful. And that he, with less than the flick of a finger, can send you to an eternity of torment. This is the God of the universe Jesus is talking about. Why are you afraid of what people think? You should be afraid of what God thinks. See, this, this fear has that, got, that has gotten so entangled in our hearts, this fear of man, this desire to fit in, it's gotten so entangled that we don't even realize what's important. But if we want to get untangled, if we want to find freedom from this worry, we need to realize that the fear of God frees us from the fear of man. That's what Jesus is saying. It's actually the fear of God, a healthy, good, reverent fear of who God is. It frees you from caring what other people think. Why do you care even if they hurt your body? 
Care about the one who could hurt your soul. Fear of God frees us from the fear of man. Now, I think this idea of the fear of God is something we need to talk about. We've talked about the fear of man. Now we need to talk about the fear of God. What is the fear of God? This is not being terrified. This is not being terrified. It includes a reverence and an honor and respect for God. Okay, let me explain it a little bit. Well, the, the historian David McCullough wrote about Teddy Roosevelt. Okay, and in his early days, you know, the president, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, in, in his early days, he was terrified of going to church. He was terrified of going to church in New York, and his mom asked him, like, why are you so afraid of going to church? And he said, because of the zeal. Because of the zeal. And, and his mom's like, what? What are you talking about? And he's like, well, you know, the zeal, it's hiding in the corners in the dark of the church and will spring out and get you. And she's like, what are you talking about? What's the zeal? Why are you so terrified of going to church? And he's like, you, you know, it's like a creature. I, I think it's something like an alligator or a dragon. It's ready to, to get you and eat you. His mom's like, where did you get this idea about the zeal? And uh, Teddy Roosevelt's like, well, the preacher talked about it. What? The preacher talked about the zeal. So his mom gets out a concordance of the Bible and flips through it and looks at every verse that talks about the zeal. So when they look, come to the word zeal, she finally comes to one verse in John 2.17, and this is what the KJV said. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. See, <laughs> she was afraid, he was afraid that this zeal thing would eat him up. You know, in the NIV it says, the zeal of the Lord will consume you, right? So he thought it was talking about something, and he was terrified of going to church. Okay, that's not the terror we're talking about here, right? That's, not, that's the terror of just being eaten up, right? The fear of the Lord is something much greater than that. It does include an aspect of nervousness. Think about the judgment seat of God, of all your sins being laid bare. There's a fear in that. But it's only it brings you that, to that terror if you don't know God and that he's good. Okay. In the Chronicles of Narnia, the, Lord of the, uh, the first one, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the very first book in that series, there's this lion figure, if you haven't read it or seen the movies, the lion figure is, is Aslan, and he's Christ. He's Jesus, he's representing God you know, in this, this whole series. And the young girls had not met the lion, right? They, they were afraid of the lion, and when, when they were finally were about to meet him, they, they were kind of scared, they were nervous. And Lucy, one of the young girls, says, is he safe? Is the lion safe? And there's the talking beavers, of course. If you haven't read the book, you don't know what I'm talking about. But there's these talking beavers, and, and Mrs. Beaver says, oh, your knees will be knocking. <laughs> but then Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? He's not safe. But he's good. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. See, what matters is that that king, that lion is good. Yes, there is a nervousness. There might be knees knocking to it, right? There's a healthy fear of God. But if you know that God is good, then you're okay. If you know that he's on your side, you're all right. It's the same thing when you're around a police officer or, or someone in the military and they have big weapons. They're trained in how to kill people. You could get a little nervous, right? Um, but if they're good, if they're on your side, you're not. And it's the same thing with God. There's a healthy, reverent fear for the God of the universe who could destroy our souls. But if he's good, then it's okay. It's good for me. 
And that's the greatest thing about verses six and seven as Jesus goes there next. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I think it's really interesting. He says, fear God and don't be afraid in the same, you know, couple verses, right? Why is he saying this? Because the God of the universe who could send your soul to hell for eternity is the same God who knows when one tiny bird falls on the ground. This God who could burn you and torment you forever in hell, send you to that torment, is the same God who knows every hair on your head. Whether you have a lot or, or you only have a few left. God knows every single one. He knows when they fall. He knows when the birds in the air fall to the ground. He knows all that. And how much more does he care about the human beings of our world that he created in his image? He loves us. He cares about us. He knows everything about us, even the hairs on our head. And he doesn't want any of us to go to hell. See, this God of the universe cares about us so much. He loves us so much that he doesn't want us to perish, but instead sent his own son, Jesus, who was talking there, to love us, to show us a perfect life, and then to die in our place, to suffer punishment, death, and hell in our place. God loves us so much. And that love, that goodness that God has for us makes it so, yes, there's a healthy fear, but that God's on my side. He is for me. He loves me. He cares about me. And therefore, all is okay. That's why in Proverbs 29, 25, we read, the fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. We can get unentangled. We can get out of that snare that is the fear of man because of the fear of God. The fear of God frees us from the fear of man. Fear of God frees us from the fear of man. And that's what we need to learn, to, to nurture, to grow that fear of God, that reverence for God, this God of the universe who holds everything in his hands. And that'll free us, actually. It'll free us. William Grinnell, the, uh, an old preacher, once said that we fear men so much because we fear God so little. When you fear God, you don't have to be afraid of what people are going to say about you, what people will do to you, whether you're going to lose your job even. Why? Does that matter? I have the God of the universe on my side who loves me and cares about me. That's who I care about. There's an old German theologian, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit of what he said, but he uses the analogy of a parent, and, and God is our father, so he's the perfect parent, right? So a bad parent, you will only fear. There'll be a fear of this parent. Because what happens to the child who only has this fear of the parent, what's going to happen is that the child will be terrified. They may be obedient, but they will be a useless little slave. They're terrified all the time. Okay, then, then maybe they do what they should, but they're terrified all the time. That's not a good, healthy child. That's not a good, healthy child. And on the other side is a parent that only gives love, and there is no fear. Okay? A parent that's only like, I love you, I want to show kindness and goodness. The child will just do whatever they want, and they will become irresponsible. They will become lazy because they can get away with it. They'll be a brat. Let's just be honest. Okay, just fear, just fear from a parent leads a child to be um, just this subservient little slave. 
On the other hand, just love and kindness and everything's okay and the child will be irresponsible and lazy and a brat, okay? A healthy parent should instill a little bit of fear in their child. There are consequences for the decisions you make and I'm going to let you feel the natural consequences and bring you some other consequences so that you can learn it now and not have to experience it later in life. And they will love that child so much so that when they do mess up, they will show kindness and forgiveness again and again. It's both. And that creates a child who knows what's right, who lives in a healthy way, and has respect and love. It's not a slave, but eventually becomes a friend. See, that's who God is. He's the God that we should be afraid of. There should be a a true fear and reverence before this God, but we also know that he loves us and cares about us, and that is the best parent we could ever hope for. That is our God of the universe. And he's shown to us in Jesus Christ. So what do we do about it? What do we do about it? If, we're, if the fear of God frees us from the fear of man, what are we supposed to do? Well, Jesus actually gives us some application. He's a great preacher. Verse 8. He says, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. Jesus is saying, you need to go public with your faith. Right? If you acknowledge me before others, if you tell others that you follow me, that you believe in me, that you love me, at the end, on that day of judgment, Jesus will say, I know him, I love him. He is forgiven and accepted in spite of all the junk he's done. But if we deny God, if we deny that Jesus is the Son of God, we don't claim him as our Lord and Savior, then on that last day, God will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Who we publicly acknowledge today, our decision about who Jesus is, is probably the most important thing we will ever decide. And Jesus says we have to go public with it. Faith, according to Jesus, is never supposed to remain a private thing. Sure, it's supposed to completely transform your inside, your heart, right? We learned that last week. But it also must come out and be known publicly. We don't pretend publicly to be a Christian. We are privately transformed, and now we publicly step into this faith to let others know that we believe in Jesus. That's why we celebrated so much when two people went public with their faith in baptism last week, right? That's what baptism is, faith going public. It's not some magical water that washes away your sins. It represents that God is transforming you on the inside, but now you're going public with your faith. And it was amazing to see those people go public. They're saying, I know that it could lead to consequences in my life. Maybe people will think less of me. Maybe they'll make up things about me. Maybe they'll say stuff about me behind my back. Maybe I'll lose some friends. Maybe I'll lose a job. Maybe I won't be able to get the license in my field. Maybe I'll even get killed because of it. I mean, that's one of the things Jesus said, a promise that Jesus gave us, is that we will be hated. He promised that to his disciples. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's a promise to us. We don't like claiming that promise. Let's stick with Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans he has for me, plans to prosper me, right? We love that verse. We don't claim the one that he's gonna, we're going to be hated. But Jesus is saying, hey, there might be small consequences. There might be huge ones. But if you're going to follow me, you have to go public with your faith. From last week, we already had two new people fill out the form to get baptized the next time we're going to do it. I'm so excited about that. If you're here and you've never gone public with your faith, that's the way to do it. To share to the world that, yes, I believe. So some of you, that's what you need to do. You need to go to AriseDenver.com, 
slash baptism and fill out that form. Others of you perhaps um, have already done that, but are you public in all your relationships with people that you're a follower of Jesus? We always talk about that faith is taking a step. What's the step for you to publicly acknowledge Jesus before others? Perhaps it's to tell a family member that you've never told. Perhaps it's to talk about it openly at work. And if you're nervous or worried about that, well, Matt, I'm not supposed to do that at work. No, we're all allowed to do that at work. Okay, there's just might be specific rules about how you do it, but everyone in every profession in our country can talk about their faith. That's why we have the First Amendment. It's great, right? It may lead to consequences, though. I'm not denying that. It may lead you to be ostracized, to be kicked out of the clique. You might not fit in well. Um, You may lose out on promotions. You may even have your career destroyed. But Jesus is saying uh, to us, the fear of God frees us from the fear of man. We are supposed to step out in faith. So I want you to think about it. Is there people that don't know I believe in Jesus? Is it my neighbors? Is it coworkers? Is it someone at the gym? Is it some other students at school? Whatever it is, I encourage you and challenge you to take that step of faith, to publicly acknowledge Jesus before others. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. Verse 11, which is a great encouragement. Verse 11, it says, When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So he's saying, don't worry about what other people say or do to you, even if you're on trial for your life. The Holy Spirit will help you. There's even that promise. That's a, that's a good promise. Let's give him that one, right? <laughs> the Holy Spirit will help you in those hard moments when you're like, oh my gosh, I think all is lost. I don't fit in anymore. People hate me. But the Holy Spirit will be with you to lead you to do what you're supposed to do. So that's why we can boldly go out and take that step of faith to publicly acknowledge Jesus before others. Some of you here today, though, have never done that. You've never publicly said that you follow Jesus, and maybe you've had your faith private, but you're ready to do that today. I want to encourage you to make that declaration public, even by just declaring that Jesus is Lord. So what I'm going to do right now, as I have the band come up, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say a prayer, and I'm going to pray for all of us as well. Because in Romans 10, 9, and 10, Romans 10, 9, and 10, it says that if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, with your mouth, you've got to say it, publicly, right? If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. There's a public aspect to our faith. So we're going we're gonna to have that opportunity, and, and what I'm going to do as we close this time, I'm going to pray for everyone here that we can take that step of faith to go public and not care about fitting in so much. But what I'm going to do is lead a prayer that if it's your first time to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you will say that. But then I'm going to have every single one of us Say that Jesus is Lord out loud, right? We can do that whether you're online. Maybe you can type that in, okay? We hear in person, say it out loud. Even at home, say it out loud. We're gonna go public with our faith today, every single one of us who are followers of Jesus. So let's pray. Um, Lord God, this, this whole um, series is challenging. This message is too, because there are people that we are embarrassed uh, to, to be open about with our faith, that we are, care so much more about fitting in than than we do about declaring your name, Lord God. And I pray that you'd help us have the courage to step out, that fear of you would free us from the fear of man, that we would be able to boldly go out and not be afraid of what anything that might happen to us because you are good and you will be with us and you will give us your Holy Spirit to even know what to say. Give us that courage in our life to step out in faith and publicly acknowledge you before others. 
Now, with everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed, if you're here today and, and you're ready to declare Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm gonna give you a little prayer and you can repeat this prayer after me. Dear God, thank you for loving me. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Save me. Forgive me. Make me new. I declare that Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, I believe you died for my sins so I could live for you. Help me to follow you the rest of my life. Amen. Now, if you're here and you said that prayer for the first time, just slip your hand in the air. I'd love to just be able to encourage you and pray for you. If, if you're online and you did that, just go to arisedenver.com slash follow, fill that out, and I'd love to connect with you online. Just encourage you. Now, for all of us here, would you please stand on your feet? You can open up your eyes. Would you please stand up on your feet? And I just want us to make this declaration right now. Jesus is Lord. Can you guys say that with me? Jesus is Lord. Say it a little louder, okay? Jesus is Lord. One more time. Jesus is Lord. Whom shall I fear?